I'm just going to come right down to the ground with you. I'm going to be gut level honest, okay? I may not preach. I may talk to you. But I'm going to tell you what's in my heart. About two months ago, um, I was praying about a, a service that I was supposed to preach at a neighboring church there in Duncan. One of my friends who pastors the Pentecostal Church of God was having a month of revival, and he invited me to come over one Sunday night and preach for him. I said, sure, Dave, I'll be there. So I'm preparing for this message and trying to speak to God about it. We've been in prayer all through the month of January. And I went to bed one night, middle of January, and I had a dream in the middle of the night. And this message was that dream. I was preaching this message. And it woke me up about four in the morning, and I got up out of bed. I walked into the other end of the house, got my computer out, and I dictated this entire message on my computer that morning before I forgot it because it was so clear. Very seldom do I have a dream that vivid, but it was so, so real. And the Holy Spirit was just pouring this out in my heart. And I was going to preach that at Faith Church, but my aunt died that week, and I didn't get to preach it there. So I said, God, it was in my heart. So I was going to preach it at our church anyway. So I thought, well, let's preach it at Bethel next week. So I did. I brought this to them in, in January. But this is a message that I believe God has laid upon my heart for the church today, not just our church or your church, but the church. Because what I'm going to talk to you this morning about, I think, is something that applies to all of us. And before I get started, I want to ask for anyone here been born after 1980. Please stand. You were born after 1980. Oh, man, this is awesome. You finally stood up. I was wondering if you were going to ever stand up. Okay, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You may be seated. Oh, this is awesome. Praise God. Now, that means the rest of us were born before then, I guess, right? Okay. I'm going to talk to you this morning about being a world changer. The first world-changing event happened in the first century. When the day of Pentecost came, God poured out his spirit upon the church. It was born. It exploded with growth because there was such fire and power in the people of God. They couldn't be quiet. They couldn't be quiet. They just went everywhere preaching the gospel, started in Jerusalem, went into Judea, into Samaria, then it points beyond to the uttermost part of the world. And this message of God was so real in these men's hearts and these women's hearts that they proclaimed the gospel no matter where they were or who they were with. So one day, Peter and John are out ministering. They're going to the temple to at the time of prayer. And on the way into the temple court, there's this guy laying there who's crippled. And he'd been there forever. They've seen this man over and over, but perhaps this is the first time the Holy Spirit spoke to them. As he begged for alms, he said, please, sir, can you give me some money? And Peter looked at him and he said, he fixed his eyes upon him and he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he stood up on those lame legs and begin dancing and running through the temple of God. You may be seated. Thank you. Man, that got our attention, right? This guy's been there forever. Everybody knew old cripple John. But now he's running and leaping and praising God, and they can't figure it out. And the Jewish elders are looking at this like, we've never seen anything like this before. 
This guy's supposed to be laying at the gate. And here he is proclaiming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. So they finally found out, who did this? And they took him to Peter and John, and now they're questioning these. What did you do to this man? He said, man, we didn't do anything to this guy. Jesus healed him. Yes. Who? Jesus. Yes, right. Well, that stirred them up because they just put Jesus on a cross about 50 days ago. Yeah. And now then they had to question these men, so they brought him before the council, and they're, off, they're questioning them, and people are everywhere. And I want to read my text. I'm going to start a little early. You guys don't have to put all this on the screen. I'm reading for NIV 84 edition. I'm going to start in verse 13, and then we'll get down to verse, or I'm going to start in verse 5, and then we'll get to verse uh, 13 in a minute. It says, The next day, the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Anison, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and other men of high priestly families. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? And they said, Peter said, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said unto them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we're asked how we healed him, then be it known to you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected. He is that which is to become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And when they heard and saw the courage, this is my text, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. I'm going to use the King James Version for this last phrase. They took note of them that they had been with Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is in Thessalonica and he's preaching in the synagogue for three Sabbaths and there are people getting saved, but this always stirs up the religious folks. Isn't it amazing how religion hates Jesus? Still does. Hates people who walk and talk about Jesus. And so they got this riot, stirred up this riot, and Peter and John, or, Peter, or Paul, I'm sorry, he and some of his guys had to kind of go into hiding, and Jason, they were living in Jason's house, staying with a guy named Jason, and so they sent for Jason, they brought him and some others before their city council. And begin to question them about what was going on. And this is what their grievance was. It's chapter 17, verse 6. And when they could not find Paul, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city council and said, These men who have turned the world upside down have come to here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now you think about that. There was such a reputation of these men of God who were walking in that time that wherever they went, things were different when they left. And when these men all died and that first century church was the history, the world could not deny that they had not made a difference. They did something that others knew about. And I'm here to declare to you this morning, God is still looking for some world changers. 
He's still looking for men and women who are willing to get out on the limb and believe God for the miracles that the word of God talks about. He's looking for people who are willing to walk in the presence of God and to work and to serve him with everything that they possibly have. The cost of being a world changer, though, has never been reduced. It costs something to walk with God. How many of you know that? Revival comes when people are hungry and desperate for God. All great revivals of history have begun with urgent and sincere prayer. And I'm convinced more than ever before, the only hope for America, the only hope for Garland, Texas, the only hope for anywhere is a people that will get on their face before God and seek the Lord until God hears from heaven and answers us. All the programs, and forgive me for saying this, but all the light and pony shows are not going to get people saved. I am so fed up with entertainment in the church. I'm sorry, but I'm just that way. It doesn't work. Hollywood does not work in the kingdom of God. Broadway is not what God called us to be. He called us to be preachers of the gospel and worshipers of Christ. Now, I'm not against technology. We're using it right now. We're streaming live to people who knows where. But that's another point. The point I'm making is that when people come into the house of God, they've got to know they've come into the presence of God. And when they leave here, they need to know that that was a different place than going to Walmart. There's something there. I don't understand it, but it feels right. Something's there that made my backbone tingle. There's something there that I don't understand, but I'd like to find out more about it. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. This world we're living in is hungry for the reality of Jesus Christ. They're tired of being lied to. They're tired of being put off. They're tired of the church not offering the reality of what God can do for them. This world is looking for somebody that'll stand up and say, Jesus is the answer. Let me show you to him. World changers God is looking for in this generation. Friends, this morning, most people in America right now, and most of you who stood up after the born 1980, now this problem is an exception to this church. But to be honest with you, the vast majority of young people under the age of 40, under the age of 50 years old, 40 years old, have never seen nor experienced the move of God in their life. They have no concept of what revival is. They have no concept of what a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit is in their life. And Pastor Joe and I were talking early this morning about the fact that we're raising generations of people in churches who really don't know Jesus. They go to church, they lift their hands, they sing our songs, they give in the offering, and they go out that door unchanged, and they live their life just like everybody else. And the world that they live in and the people they work with don't know they're a believer. They don't know they're a Christian because there's no presence of God in their life. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Ron. Don't say that. Well, I am saying it. I'm tired of the church being phony. I'm tired of people professing to know Jesus who have never truly encountered him. I'm going to tell you something. When you encounter God, he will change your life. He will change your life. You cannot be the same when you've come into the presence. That's what these men's testimony was. They took note of them. These men just act like Jesus acted. They're doing what he did, and that's why we put him on a cross. They all ended up dying for their faith in God except for John, and they tried to kill him, but God wouldn't let him die until he gave him the revelation, okay? So let's go to this. I'm here not to talk about history. 
I don't want to just give you an idea of what's happened in my life, but I will tell you, all my life, Joe is, is a, is a, he's a, he can testify to this, throughout my entire life, I have wanted to see God move in a miraculous way. I wanted to see God do things that I know is in this book. I wanted to see God raise people up from a sick bed, help them to walk out of a wheelchair, be healed of cancer and anything else you can imagine. I wanted to see people who are bound by drugs delivered by the power of God and set free by the word of Jesus Christ. I want to see people who are hungry for God to be genuinely saved and changed and transformed. And those who want to follow Jesus, I want them to be full of the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues and see visions and revelations that God said would happen in the last days. That's what I've sought God for all my life. I just can't find a place to quit. I haven't given up on this generation. I believe in it. I preached this last week. Is Generation Z deceived or are they different? Friends, they are not, they're not different. They have the same problems you've got and I've got. They just have been told that they're not like everybody else. Well, that's not true. There's still only two genders in this world. Honestly. And a man can't be a woman and a woman can't be a man. Their DNA is not the same. Folks, I got to tell you something. The world is so upside down. It's so confused. Somebody's got to say, this is the way. Walk in it. And we have to do that in the church. If we don't do it, who's going to? Nobody. Nobody. So I'm not here to tell you, talk about a history lesson. I'm here to talk about a drought that's happening in the kingdom of God in the church. A drought of his presence. A drought of the reality of God. And for a few minutes today, let me just tell you that as it was in the days of Abraham, so is it in our day. Abraham went throughout Canaan digging wells. You have to dig a well to get water in those days. The only way to survive is to have water. We know that. So Abraham dug these wells and they were, the water came up in the well and he would drink out of that water. And he would move on to another place. And here would come the Canaanites and they would cover the well up. And Abraham spent half his life digging well water, water wells in Canaan. And he raised a son by the name of Isaac. And when Abraham died, Isaac went back and retraced some of the same areas his father had brought him up in. And guess what? He had to dig his own well. He had to redig the wells of his father Abraham. Folks, I got to tell you something here this morning. Young people, God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. Everybody has got to be a son or a daughter of God. You have to meet God for yourself. You have to know he's real. You have to experience the reality of salvation, forgiveness of sin, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever else there is in God, you've got to experience yourself. You can't live off of yesterday. You can't live off of mom's experience or dad's experience or the revival that happened five years ago. You need a move of God. And you all older people need a move of God too today because Jesus is still real. We have to dig our wells out, so let's do it. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about, about being a world changer. If we're going to be a world changer, God is going to have to change us. He's going to have to change us. We're not experiencing revival and growth in the church today because we're not hungry. We're not hungry. We're not, we're not desperate people. He said, oh, Pastor Ron, I'm hungry. Are you? 
Now, just are you really hungry for God? I'm serious. Are you truly hungry for God? Are you desperate to get in touch with God in prayer each day? Can you not wait to have those moments and times with Jesus as you can talk to him? Find your, your, your quiet place that you can just visit with God and talk to him about life. Are you hungry? Or can we go days without even opening our Bible? Can we go days without stopping to pray and seek his face and just, oh, I've been so busy. How busy do you have to be? This is where we are. Hungry people are not satisfied for you to talk about food. They want to eat. Hungry people don't want to hear about some advertisement. Man, you should go to this restaurant. They want to go and experience it. Hungry people want to eat. Hungry people after God are not satisfied to talk about church or just go to church and sit there. They don't want to talk about yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow. They want to know God is a God of today. I want Jesus today. I need him today. Are you hungry? Have you made any decisions lately that will move you closer to God than you have been? Are you sitting still? Are you stagnant? Are you influencing your children to walk close to Jesus and to know him personally? You say, well, I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to tell my kids. Why don't you? you better tell them. God didn't call you to be their friend. He called you to be their parents. If you've got kids here today and if you've got children that's in high school or down middle grades or elementary or even below that, it is your responsibility as a spiritual leader to bring your kids up in the fear of God. It is not his responsibility. It's yours. He is here to equip the saints for works of ministry. There's no greater work of ministry than to be the evangelist in your own house, to be the pastor of your own children. Your kids are going to be like you are. You better look in the mirror and ask you, where am I with God? Am I getting closer to God or am I best scooting along? I'm talking about being a world changer. If you want to start changing the world, change your house. Start with your home. Start with your own kids. When's the last time you had a Bible study at home? When did you have prayer with them last? How much time do they spend on a video game or a cell phone or in front of a television set? Come on, think about it. I'm asking you if you're hungry. Are you hungry? He said, well, I don't want to hear this. Well, I'm sorry. I'm here. I'll be done in a few minutes. Are you willing to step across the line and be one of those that will take a stand for God in the midst of a world that doesn't believe there is a God, in a world that doesn't seem to believe that anything is true, and you will declare the truth of what you believe in at work, wherever it is? You say, man, man, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know where I work. I know where you work. You work in the world. And God put you there as a light. He put you there as a light. Are you willing to pay the price for seeking after God? That'll cost you time before your TV and your cell phone and your computer and all your social media. We got people that are addicted to social media. Good night. I am drives me crazy. I know I'm from the old school. I'm a dinosaur, okay? It just wears me out. I'll get on my, my computer to do something, and I have my Facebook page on, but I'm not on Facebook once a month, okay? 
But once in a while, I'll click on there to see, and I see people there that they, they're there all the time. Every time I ever open mine, they're on there. I think, good night. Do they have a job? Do they have anything to do? And preachers are as bad as anybody. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Just forgive me. I'm on my soapbox. The revival will not come to any church or to any place until its people are hungry enough for God to do what God has called them to do. Our call to worship today is a primary passage of Scripture used in any place that revival is needed or wanted. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. Then will I heal their land. And my ears shall be open unto the prayers that are offered in this place. God is waiting for us to call on him. He's waiting. So the first thing that I think that needs to happen for us to become world changers is that we must become desperate with God. Desperation drives people to do things that they would never do otherwise. To become desperate with God means we must evaluate our lives and reconsider where we stand and the state of our spiritual life. If we're willing to look into the mirror of God's word, if we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to search me, O oh God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me, then cleanse me, God. That was a prayer of the psalmist. Search me, O oh God. We must be desperate with God. Secondly, we must repent. Church, I cannot begin to tell you how needful it is for every believer to keep his or her life clean before God. We can all name all the visible sins out there. I mean, you can name it all. I mean, I just mentioned a few earlier about the gender thing and the people that are confused and the homosexuality and the this and that. I mean, it's all over the place. We, yeah, we can pick out the murderers and the drunks and those kind of people that are on drugs and all that stuff. Yeah, but how about the sins of the heart? How about the sins of lust that nobody sees, but you just, yeah, you can't keep your eyes off of that woman at work. You just can't keep your eyes off of those things that come across your TV set that attract you. What about covetousness? What about wanting something more than you've always... You, you're never satisfied with what you've got. Coveting something that you don't need or don't, God doesn't want you to have. What about the sin of bitterness? Bitterness growing up inside of us, it says, is like a, a root that grows up and defiles the whole body, the whole life. What about unforgiveness? Well, you don't understand how they are. Yeah, I do. I've been hurt. I've dealt with it. It's not easy. But you've got to come to God with it. You cannot let it fester. You cannot let it keep going in your life. Unforgiveness will send you to hell. You say, wait a minute. I got saved. I know, but you read the Bible lately? Jesus said, unless you forgive those who sin against you, I won't forgive you. That's conditional. That's conditional. We have to forgive if we're going to be forgiven, I'm talking about repentance, opening our heart to God and say, Lord, look at me. What is wrong with me? 
I'll tell you what's happening in a lot of churches today, and this is the truth. We've got people that's coming to church, and we give an altar call, and I'm not against altar calls. I love, I love altar calls. I'm all for the altar calls. But you'll bring 25 people down to the front, and a person on the stage, evangelist, pastor, whoever it may be, and I repeat this prayer after me. And I, Father, okay, Father, I come to you as a sinner. I come to you as a sinner. Well, you know the sinner's prayer. I accept Jesus as my Savior, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you for saving my soul. And the evangelist or the pastor, whoever, now you're saved. You're saved. And everybody goes back to the seat. They fill out a decision card, and you're going to follow up on them next week. And guess what? Tuesday, you can't find two of them. They won't return your text. They won't return your phone call. They won't return your email. You're trying to contact them. Are you with me? Do you understand that? You know what I've realized through the years? You can't disciple a sinner. You can't. You say, well, they prayed a sinner's prayer. I don't care what they prayed. Unless God has transformed their heart, their nature hasn't been changed. You can say anything you want to. It doesn't change what's inside unless it's coming from your heart. And I got news for you. I believe John MacArthur's on track when he says, you can't, you can't call Jesus Savior unless you call him Lord. I believe in the Lordship of Christ. If he's not in control of my life, I'm not following Jesus. Trust me. And I've tried this, and you've tried this, and we've all tried this to disciple people that come to our altars, and you can't find them. They disappear from the planet. And you say, what's happened? We got all these people saved. No, we didn't get them saved. They just came for a spiritual catharsis. Like going to a counselor. Well, tell me your problem, brother. Well, they spend 30 minutes telling you a problem. Maybe they cry some tears. and I just feel, feel bad about what's happening. And you say, okay. And you give them an assignment to do, and they go out of the door. They don't do anything, but they feel better because they've got it off their chest. And people come to God, and they get their sins off their chest, but they never let Jesus take over. There's a difference in just praying for forgiveness and giving your life to God. And that's what we as a church must do. And we must continue to repent and ask God to keep our hearts pure before God. You see, our world is not changed because we haven't been changed. The American church is a Laodicean church. Here's what we say. Oh, wait a minute. We're rich. We got money in the bank. We can pay our salary. We can pay our payments. We've prospered. We don't need anything. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you can see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will eat with him and he with me. The Laodicean church, Jesus, is on the outside. He's on the outside. We must not allow ourselves to become that kind of church. Third thing we need to do is we need to have evidence of true revival and world-changing events that people are genuinely saved. I think one of the great evidences of revival is that people are getting born again. 
I think revival is to get the church fired up, moving out. But, you know, when we get fired up, moving out, we don't want to go out there and just waste it on praising God and sing Kumbaya under the shade tree. Let's go into the marketplace and let's reach people for Christ, right? Let's touch somebody with the gospel. If it's real, let's share it. Okay, if, you're, if you see a friend that's drowning in a pond and you have a life jacket or life preserver or inner tube, and you don't throw that inner tube to that guy, who's going to be responsible for his death? Who do you think? Well, he should have known how to swim. Well, he should have, but he didn't. So who's going to be responsible? You've got the inner tube. You can throw it to him, but you choose not to. Why? Well, I'm afraid he won't accept it. I don't want to impose. I don't want to be pushy. Are you listening to me? You ought to read Ezekiel chapter 2. If you know what is right and you don't tell somebody, I will hold you responsible for them. You say, Brother Ron, I don't want to hear that kind of stuff. Well, you need to hear it because it's the truth. You need to read the book because it's all there. And one of these days we're going to be judged by this, by this book. What you did with him, what you did with this. So, let me just say this to you. We must give evidence of God's move in our life by people being saved and brought to Jesus Christ. I'm going to hurry and, and get through my message here. i got so much to give you. In 1949, there was a, a call sent out by the Presbytery Board of the Free Church on the island of Lewis in the New Hebrides, which is off the coast of Scotland. Many may have heard this revival many years ago. The presbytery wrote to all the churches in that island, and they sent this letter. It said, Having taken into consideration the low state of vital religion within our bounds, and throughout the land generally call upon the faithful people of all our congregations to take a serious view of the present conditions of morality and especially of the lack of spiritual power evidenced by our church's influence in their communities. They noted especially the growing carelessness toward church attendance and the public worship, the light regard for professions of faith and baptisms, and the spreading of a spirit of pleasure or worldliness, which has taken such a hold on the younger generation that all regard for anything of higher appears to them to be dismissed altogether. The presbytery affectionately pleads with the people, and especially with the youth of the church, to take these matters into heart and to make serious inquiry as to what must end result should be, should there be no repentance, and call upon every individual as before God to examine his or her life in the light of the responsibility that pertains to us according to God's divine mercy. And especially would they warn their young people of the devil's schemes to deceive them through careless living, worldly entertainment, public houses of drinking and dancing. This was in 1949. That declaration was taken seriously by the pastor of the church in Barvis. Pastor John Murray McKay took this letter and read it to his congregation on a Sunday. 
As he read the congregation, these letters, people began to cry out, oh, what do we do? Then he took the letter to all the people in his parish that were not attending that day, and he would take it into their homes. He would read the letter personally to them. He took it to two old ladies in their 80s. Peggy and Kath, Kath, Christine Smith were their names. One was blind. The other had arthritis so bad she couldn't hardly walk. He read the letter to them. They took it seriously, the call to prayer. So they went to praying. It wasn't a few days later until Peggy had a dream. God showed her that the church in Barbas was filled with young people. They were overflowing. Young people were coming by the droves into the church, praising God and worshiping and repenting of sin. And she called for Pastor McKay to come back. And he came back and she told him the dream that she'd had. He said, what will we do? She said, pray, my brother. We must pray. Pastor McKay took her seriously. And he went and he gathered some of the elders of their church. And they started meeting in a barn close by to the church. And every night at 10 o'clock, they'd go into the barn and they'd pray till 2 in the morning, four-hour prayer meeting. And while they were praying, Kath, Catherine and Peggy were praying in their house just down the street. This went on for months. Then one night, a man by the name of Brother MacDonald stood up, cried out to God, Psalm 24. He said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall, who shall be in, involved and stand in his holy mountain? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He was taken with such conviction at that moment, he fell on his knees and cried out to God and was slain in the spirit. It was at that moment, the barn literally shook. The barn shook. God came because people prayed. You can read the story of the island of Lewis. For three years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were saved. God sent a man by the name of Duncan Campbell to preach the revival, but he didn't bring the revival. The revival was there because people prayed. An island was transformed because people prayed. Folks, I got to tell you something. I'm not talking about history. I'm talking about reality. If God can do it once, he can do it again. If people will pray now, he will do it again. This area is unreached by God. There are great churches all up and down this great avenue out in front of our church. And every Sunday morning in our church, we pray for a neighboring church across our city. That God will send them a revival. That God's presence will be felt that they will live in unity, that the word of God will be preached and they will receive it and live it, that they will be soul winners and that joy will come into that church and fill it with his glory of God. Read John chapter 17. That's the prayer Jesus prayed for us. And that's what I'm praying for God to happen to your church. And I'm going to pray that over you before I leave today. God wants to know if you are hungry for him. He wants to know if you're willing to be a world changer. Are you willing to get desperate with God? Do you have a hunger to go further than you have been? Are you willing to repent of anything in your life that would prevent you from drawing closer to God? Are you ready for God to fill you with his power and thrust you into the harvest field so that he can use you to bring people to Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. That's what I ask for today. God says, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. Hallelujah. Are we willing to lay our lives on the line? Are we willing to put it all out for Jesus? May God help us this morning to surrender to him and allow the Spirit of God to use us to bring glory to his name. And I close with Ezekiel chapter 22. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, son of man's, 
Say to the land, say to the land, you are a land that has had no rain or showers in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. This is America today. They teach that there's no difference between the unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gains. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the, Lord, the sovereign Lord says when the Lord says, I have not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor, the needy, and they mistreat the aliens, denying them justice. And I'm looking for a man. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one. The first century church came and went, but history records that they made a difference. I pray to God somehow that in our lifetime, he will help us to make a difference. And I ask you this afternoon, if I could have my keyboard player back, sister, if you'd come back, thank you. I would like this morning to take a few minutes for us to just close our eyes right now, if you don't mind. As I looked at the vast cities we drove in yesterday, coming town George Bush Turnpike, I saw tens of thousands of homes thousands of apartments all up and down the thoroughfare. And my heart cried out. I said, oh God, where are all these people with Jesus? Where are they with God? There are thousands of churches in this Dallas area. Thousands. And today there's probably very few of them that are packed out with standing room only. And I pray, oh God, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. It's not up to preachers to win the world for Christ. It's up to people. We're here to equip. We're here to help you. We're here to pray with you and give you guidance and leadership and pastoral supervision and all of that. But guys and ladies, it's up to you to win your world for Christ. You can start on your block. You can start in your business. You can start wherever but you got to start somewhere. But you can't start if you don't have the fire in your gut to get out there where it's all at. For too many years, the church has been too silent about the things that matter most. We can talk about OU football or Texas football or anybody else. We can talk about the Super Bowl or March Madness or anything like that. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about everything. But bring up God and everybody gets lockjaw. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't. Folks, i got to tell you something. You're offending God by not telling them about Jesus. 
God is offended when we don't say something, when we don't inject his will, his word to them and let them know he loves them. That's who's offended. It's God. So I'll ask you this morning, by the grace of God, that I hope many of you will rise with me in a moment and say, I want to be a world changer. I want to make a difference in my lifetime for Jesus. I, don't, I want to do something. I don't care what it is, God. You tell me. You direct me. You help me. we got a young missionary here today. He's going to Mongolia, of all places in the world. Can't wait to get over there and preach the gospel in a very hard, godless, atheistic world. But you know what? We've got that right here in Garland, Texas. It's here. We need missionaries right here. We need men and women like you right here to stand up for Jesus and declare the love of God to people and show them what it means to serve the Lord. Does anybody here want to be a world changer? Does anybody here want to make a difference in your family, in your friends, the people in your neighborhood, at your work, at your school, wherever you may be? Is there anyone here that says, Ron, I want to be a world changer. I'm willing for God to do whatever he wants to do in my life to get me to a position of being like Peter and John, of being like Paul, of being a person who turned their world upside down and who have been with Jesus. People will know if you've been with Jesus. If you're here this morning, you say, Ron, I'd like to come and I want to publicly take a stand for God that I want to be a world changer. You may be one now and you may not be. It doesn't matter. But your will has to be involved. You have to make a decision, and I hope you will. And I'm not putting you on the spot. Please don't say, don't think that. I'm not. I'm just being honest. But if you're serious about this message, if you're serious about changing your world, I, this building right over here, when you move into this building, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. People are going to start coming. I know that by experience. They're waiting. The enemy has delayed this building program for three years. But by the grace of God and Almighty God, he's going to open that thing in a few months. And you're going to move in there and God's going to move with you. You need more room. You've got to prepare for what's coming. I believe harvest is coming. I'm not just piping my things out there to you this morning. I believe God wants us to be world changers. And let's go after it. Let's believe God that he will help us to do that. If you want to fill this new church up, let's be world changers. If you'll help me, let's come forward and let's just stand before God for a few moments and let's just offer ourselves to the Lord as a sacrifice. God, I want to be a world changer. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit this morning and make me what you want me to be. Hallelujah, Lord. God bless you as you come. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on down. God bless you. Come on. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, help these young men and women. Hallelujah to God to be full of the Holy Ghost and fire this morning. Lord Jesus, take us where we haven't been before. Make us what you want us to be, God, in the name of Jesus. Father, saturate us with your presence this morning. Oh, Lord, we want to yield our lives to you today like never before. We want to see our new church filled with souls and filled with hungry hearts. We want to see our young people come to Jesus Christ and moms and dads saved and changed by your glorious power. 
Lord, help us this morning to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, God. Take me, Lord, and use me wherever you want me. Oh, Lord, cleanse my heart and make me pure and holy. Whatever may be in my life, Lord, cleanse it from my soul today, Jesus. I repent. I ask you forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you will have your way in my life. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that a world-changing event will happen in this church, that you will bring these people to a place of glory and a place of power in the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for your promise. Thank you, Lord, that you said, if you call upon me, I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things you do not know. You said you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God, let us seek you with all of our heart today. Let us go after God with a passion and a brokenness in our spirit that you, Jesus, will come and transform us all into firebrands for God to go out into this world and touch the lost for Jesus. I praise, oh God, your holy name this morning for what you're doing in this church and through this ministry. Oh, precious Jesus, come, mighty God in power. Come in glory this morning and fill us, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Draw us into your presence this morning, Jesus. Fill us, oh God, with a hunger and a passion for God like we've never had. We cannot afford to waste another day. We cannot pretend that everything is all right. We must go after God with an abandon, with all that we have. We must charge forward and the name of Jesus into the world that is lost. It's up to us to redeem those, to save those, to help them find the light of God in this day and age. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray your blessings this morning. We pray your blessings this morning, oh God, upon this church. Hallelujah. Oh, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, Father God. Let this world know that we have been here when we leave it. Let the world know that we have been here when we leave it. Oh, God, that you might be glorified in us today is our prayer that you might be glorified through us and in us as we hold up the word of God to our world today. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I praise you for your word. I thank you for this church. And I give the glory and the honor to you, Jesus. I give the glory and the honor to you, Jesus. I give the glory and the honor to you, Jesus. I do. I give the glory and the honor to you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring Trinity before you today. Trinity life. There's life in God. There's life. And I declare this morning in Jesus' name that this church will experience the glory and divine presence of God like it has never known. I pray that they will know you, that they will experience you from young to old. A fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost will fill this church, will reverberate through their lives, that every time they come into this worship center, the presence of God will precede them here, and you will meet them as they come to your glory today. I pray for that presence to be felt here at Trinity Life. I pray that the word of God that is preached here will be a pure word of truth, that it will be anointed by the Holy Spirit, 
and that those who hear it will receive it as the word of God. They will ingest it into their hearts and they will obey it and will walk in it. Oh, hallelujah to God that we will put into flesh that word which is spoken to us in our ears. I pray, Lord, that this church will be one in one accord, that it will be unified in the name of Jesus to be one, that there'll be no division, there'll be no schism, there'll be no party spirit whatsoever in this body, but they will be one even as you and the Father are one. Let us be one, unified under the banner of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. And I pray, Lord, that the word of God that is proclaimed here will go out into every direction in this area and that lives will be changed by the power of God's gospel and that souls will be saved and that this church will grow beyond what it is expecting, beyond what it can imagine, that you will do exceeding abundantly above all that they could ever ask or think according to the power that's working in them. I pray that the message of the gospel will bring souls from every direction and they will serve the Lord God Almighty right here in this church. Lord, I pray lastly that the joy of the Lord will fill this body of believers. They have been through a trial in the last three years of trying to see a new building. They've been through so many heartaches and disappointments. It's time for the joy of the Lord to settle upon this church and for the glory of God to descend and let the power of Jesus Christ be manifest here, O Lord. Give them the joy that Jesus said I had before the world was. Hallelujah. Oh, God, that the joy that you enjoy today, we too will enjoy by our presence with you and our association with one another. These things we pray. And I pray for our pastor. I ask you, God, to surround this man of God with men, especially men, but women as well, who will pray and lift his hands up every day. He needs a prayer team. He needs a prayer army behind him. He is the thrust of the message of this church. He is the forefront leader. He is the one that's in the enemy's target to take out. But God, I want you to surround Joe and Missy with the men and women of God who will lift them up in prayer and will hold their hands up to the Lord as Aaron and her held up Moses' hands so that the enemy could not win, but God would be victorious. We ask that in the name of Jesus. And I plead the blood over them now, God, and their family. And all those who call upon your name today, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name.